right, well, we're going to attempt to continue where we left off last week and uh, going to do a little bit of clarification, um, something that was really, I, mean, I, I just, I couldn't get, I couldn't understand why anybody would argue against it, but I think I, we're not saying that, I don't, it's not that people don't believe in a rapture, it's that when the rapture happened was the main contention. That was where uh, John Nelson Darby was accused of coming up with that doctrine. I, th I think that that is, where did my son go? My wife took off, my son took off. But, uh, you know, last week I was, I was talking about that and I was giving you the examples of all the places in the Bible where a translation happened a rapture happened, and uh, so I think what the big issue is, because there are so many people, uh, so-called theologians out there, and they have different views on when this being caught up takes place. Is it a pre-trib rapture? Is it a mid trib rapture? Is it a post-trib? There are people, and most of them are overeducated, I'll put it that way, that have now come out with uh, this idea, they're called amillennialists. They, they don't even think that there's a literal 1,000 year reign. And they spend a lot of time trying to prove that they're right. You know, I think that sometimes you can tell when someone is uh, lying to you when they have to go overboard on explaining things. They have to spend so much time trying to convince you of something because it's not real and, and it, they have to try to figure out ways to get you to believe their way. So be cautious. Um, so, with that, we're back at Hebrews, and I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to, like I said, last week, there was a lot of things that I thought I was going to be able to read, but uh, we ran out of time, and we're going to try to get into them today. Now, in Hebrews 11, talking about Enoch again, now, Enoch, he was the seventh from Adam, which is a very significant thing. If, you, if he was the seventh from Adam, we need to pay special attention to him because he is the seventh. And when you get to Lamech, you see where he was 777 years old when he died. That is very significant. When you see 777 in Scripture, very significant. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but, you know, Jesus Christ is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I've shared with you that the very first verse of the Bible has the exact same number of letters as the last verse in the Bible, the beginning and the end. Now, that's only if you have a King James. 
It doesn't work for any other translation because they, they mess it up by one letter at least. But 44, I think it's 44 letters and 44, but it's the exact same number of consonants and vowels as well. I think that is significant, very significant. I don't know if you've ever noticed that the very first verse of the New Testament, if you open your Bible up and you go to Matthew and you, and you read the first verse, seven words over Jesus. If you go to the very end of your Bible and go to Revelation, the last word in your Bible is Amen. If you count backwards from that, seven times Jesus is there the beginning and the end. Your Bible is amazing. It, I, can, I could show you all kinds of examples of how, and I've done it. You know, when, I go past, when I go by a verse and I see it just happens to be verse, whatever, whatever, think about the, the chances of somebody being able to to make that work out. If they tried, it would be really, really hard. But the Holy Spirit inspired this word so that you will start to see all kinds of, of uh, signs in the word of God that shows you that the Holy Spirit wrote it, not man. He used man to physically write it down so that we can have it, we can keep it, it will be preserved over time, and God's hand is always on His Word, making sure that it doesn't get wiped out, making sure that copies, accurate copies, have been passed down through the ages, and that we still have His Word. And we need to have such confidence that we have His Word. We really should. And we should, we should remember that everybody, everybody else lies, but God does not lie. And whatever this book says right here, we can trust it. And it's been attacked so harshly over time. And the devil is very uh, deceiving in how he does it. So you've got to be, you gotta be, be careful about not being tricked by the devil. He wants to trick you. He is a liar. He's good at it. He's very good at lying. All right, now, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. That's verse 5 of chapter 11 of Hebrews. And was not found because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we want to be a people who are diligently seeking after God. <clears throat> now, we know that Enoch believed what God said because he was able to walk with him and he... he <clears throat> He walked with God and God only. He wasn't worried about making friends with the people of this earth. As far as he wasn't afraid to 
hurt people's feelings. When things were going wrong and things were bad, he spoke the truth. And if the, if the truth hurt your feelings, too bad. Because he wasn't going to compromise with the world so that he would be liked and accepted. He was holding hands with God and he would not hold hands with the world. And the Bible says that he, he prophesied he actually prophesied to a very corrupt earth. Now, here's where it's important to understand the pre-trib part of this rapture discussion. Enoch walked with God, and he was taken out of here before the next person that shows up in Hebrews 11, which is verse 7, is by faith Noah was... Uh, was uh, being warned by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. See, there is a judgment coming on this earth. It's coming. And we don't know when it's going to start. The Bible tells us that there will be people who will say, there he is, Jesus is here, don't believe it. There's going to be many false Jesuses that are going to show up and to ignore them, and it tells us that there must be a great falling away, and then you still don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but there's a judgment coming, and you're, if you are a believer, you're going to be taken out, like Enoch was taken out, before these, this judgment came. The flood of the whole earth in Noah's time was a judgment that was coming. And nobody was going to stop it. Either you get on board of the ark or you're lost. But I think that this is a picture of the truly born-again people are going to be translated out of here. Those who have not made friends with the world's way, but they're only with God's way, they will be like Enoch, and they will be taken out before the judgment starts. And I think that's where the big argument was, accusing Darby of inventing the pre-trib rapture, when he did not. There were plenty of other people. So that list that I read to you last week was a list of people who also thought that true children of God would not go through the wrath. They would be taken out before the terrible judgment happened. Okay? I just want to be clear on that. Okay, so in, in, uh, we, I read to you Amos 3.3. 3. Amos 3, verse 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? So Enoch was in agreement with God. Are you in agreement with God? Very important question. And then uh, I quickly read Psalm 9:10, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Now that's that diligently seeking. That's Psalm 9:10. Now, back over in Jude. In Jude, 
we read, and we read this last week, but I'm going to uh, add a little bit more to it. When When you back up to verse 11, which we read a few weeks ago, talking about the way of Cain, it says, Woe unto them. I listened to a sermon that a pastor down, I can't remember where he's from, but he said, the title of his sermon was, his name is Cody Zorn, and his message was, when God says, woe, you better stop. When God says, woe, you better stop. And it was about what I had just preached on, and I have to say he did a better job than I did. But, but he, he, not only did he talk about the way it came, but he, talk, he got into big detail on uh, after, the, after uh, the way of Cain, which is man's way of trying to please God. Very religious, very religious, and they come up with ideas. Now, this past Wednesday night, I talked about a couple of different churches that were doing things man's way. And it's really popular because it's very worldly, and it brings worldly people in, and it makes them comfortable when they come to church. Now, one of them was uh, Saddleback Church. Correct me if I say something wrong. Just raise your hand if I say something wrong. But Saddleback Church, I'm pretty sure, is the church that Rick Warren was famous for. And he's retired, and he, he's made millions for himself through book sales and having a huge church and all the money that comes in. Well, the new pastor, they are co-pastors, his husband and wife, and they are equal. They are co-pastors, and they have other women that they have ordained as ministers, so they just recently... You've heard in the news that the Southern Baptist Convention has pushed them out. They're no longer part of it. They got pushed out. Well, that, those, two, those pastors, they are doing movie themes in their churches, and they dress up like characters in a movie, and they, do, they try to make a sermon out of it. And they're glorifying people. They're, they're taking the focus off of Jesus and his shed blood, and making something entertaining that people, uh, they just connect with because people are worldly, right? And so they're wanting worldly people to come into the church and then feel entertained and want to come back, bring your checkbook, uh, and we want you to feel comfortable in church. Well, then there's another pastor, I'm pretty sure it's Oklahoma, his last name is Todd, Pastor Todd, and he is very well-spoken. He preaches loud, and he wears $1,000 suits, and he's all about the prosperity and this, that, and the other. Now, he, they had a Chris, uh, uh, Easter program, and it was... If you look up, I don't really would, uh, I don't want to suggest looking it up, but if you look up this video, it is this mega church, huge stage, they got all the sound system, and they have all the effects, something you would see at a Super Bowl halftime show. And these were, these are dancers. 
dressed in a way that you would expect to see at a Super Bowl halftime show. And they're in the church and they are dancing and doing certain moves that are... But the people had asked the pastor, how far can we push this show? And he said, you can push it right up to sin and then back up a little bit. Trying to be entertaining so that the worldly people will come in and fit in. Now, this past Wednesday, I said, I do not want a worldly sinner to walk into this church and feel comfortable. I want them to feel the presence of a mighty, holy God that hates sin and will send you to hell if you don't repent. So these big, huge mega churches. They are going the way of Cain, and they are running greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. Balaam spoke to God directly, and Balaam wanted reward. He wanted the money. He liked liked having a relationship with God but he also really liked having a relationship with Balak because Balak had the money. And Balaam wanted the money, but God said, you can't do this. You cannot do what Balak is asking you to do, which is to put a curse on the nation of Israel. And Balaam, he he, he looked godly, he even prophesied about a star in the future. He, he, he said some amazing things that were very true, like some of these preachers in these big megachurches. They say a lot of the right words, but they're, they're Balaam's. They are running greedily after the reward of fame and fortune. That's what they're doing. And they end up perishing in the gainsaying of Korah. That's what ends up happening. And the sad thing is, is what happened, it wasn't just, if you go back to Genesis and you read about, or in, I, I guess it's Exodus, when you see Korah perishing, is it just him? Look at how many people followed Korah to the opening up of the earth and a trip straight to hell. Look at how many people followed him. And there's a lot of people who are following corrupt preachers today. They're leading people astray. So this story of Enoch, because as you, as you, when you get past all of that in Jude, and you get to uh, Enoch, and Enoch also, the seventh from heaven, prophesied of these That's what he was talking about. All of these false teachers and all of these people who were trying to please God through human efforts and that they were going after the heir of Balaam and they were going to perish with the gainsaying of Korah. Uh, Enoch also, the seventh from, from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that, that, listen to this, listen to how many ungodlies are in here. 
to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. But ye, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, Enoch was before the flood. Enoch was taken out. Methuselah lived to be 969, the longest person to ever live, but died before his father did. Because Enoch was taken out, he never died. Methuselah, and then Lamech, 777, died, and they died right before the flood happens. Judgment came down. Judgment came down. Judgment is coming. Now, let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4. You know, we, I just told you guys to read this. I don't think I ever got the chance to read it last week, but I told you to take notes of what I wanted to get to, but I never did. You know, there's, a, there's also a couple other places in the Bible that you can look at. Joseph brought one up to me right away after last week. And, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, he said with a loud voice, I give up the ghost. Now, he said other things with a loud voice as well, but one of the things he said is he cried with a loud voice. Now, I want you to remember this loud voice. Remember at the end of last week, it was... We need to quit looking for the signs and start listening for the sounds. And Jesus cried with a loud voice. Now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you're going to hear a loud voice. You're going to hear the trump of God. You're going to hear something very loud. It's loud enough so that the, uh, the dead in Christ, the people who are sleeping, will be woken up. That's how loud this voice is going to be. And Jesus gives us some examples of a loud voice waking up those who are asleep in him. You know, those who die without Jesus, there's no hope, right? Very, very sad when those people die. But those who die in Jesus, we sometimes have a smile on our face. Sometimes we're jealous. They went to be with the Lord and I'm stuck here. It's totally different when someone dies and you know that they were in the Lord. Now when Jesus died on the cross and he, he yelled with a loud voice, he cried out with a loud voice, and he gave up the ghost, something happened. Now it's only in Matthew, now keep your place and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something it's real quick. I'm going to read something out of Matthew 27, you can just write that down. 
you, you have to remember that the way the Word of God is written, it's talking about something that's actually happened, and then it will throw something in there that happens later, and then it goes right back to where it was. You get that? You understand that? You're, you're reading, and it's, actually, it's happening, it's happening, and then all of a sudden there is a jump into the future, and there's something said about it, and then you're right back. It, it, it tell, it, so that you'll, it's, it's almost like a parenthesis. You're talking about something, and then you say, by the way, this is what's going to happen over here, and this is why it's significant, and then you go right back to what you're saying. And this happens right here in Matthew 27. And it, all right, So this is when Jesus, he's cried out, and then it said when that happens, when he actually gave up the ghost, he willingly went to the cross, and he willingly gave up his life for us, right? It says in 51 of, of uh, chapter 27, it says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. So the rocks broke up. Okay? And then it says, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. But listen carefully, though. And came out of the graves after his resurrection. Well, that was three days later. And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Wow. Well, what happened in those three days? Jesus said that he was going down into Abraham's bosom. He would go down into the heart of the earth. He said like Jonah or Jonas was in the, in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Likewise, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. And why did he have to go down there? He had to go down to hell. He had to go where we're supposed to go. And he was, and it, but, he, but he was raised from the dead, but he went down to Abraham's bosom, and he took all those people who were in holding out of there. And this was an example of Jesus taking captivity captive out of there. So there's, you could say that's a translation out of Abraham's bosom into heaven. So, so from that point on, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay, so there's an example of one that you can add to that list that you got last week. Now back over in uh, 1 Thessalonians. Can you think of another one? You're thinking, why can't he just read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? But what about Lazarus? Remember, remember La this is not the Lazarus that was in Abraham's bosom or on the other side of Abraham's bosom. Uh, no, no, Lazar that Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom. The rich man was on the other side. But this was a different Lazarus who was in a tomb and he'd been there what? Four days, good and dead. Was it Martha who said, I don't know if you want to roll away that stone, it's going to stinketh. I mean, that's how dead he was. It wasn't like he died and <clears throat> he, he was resuscitated. No, he was dead, real dead. And Jesus purposely delayed getting there so that he would be real dead. And Jesus said he's just sleeping. And what did he do? With a loud voice. He said, Lazarus, come forth, and he did. So that's something else that you can, you can 
when you're thinking about this First Thessalonians, the dead in Christ will rise. Okay, four. Uh, since I've talked so much about all that other stuff, uh, let's move down to... Let's go down to uh, 13. We'll start there. This is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. <clears throat> he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. I've already explained all that. <clears throat> now remember, Paul... He's already, he's already mentioned and taught all of this stuff to the people in Thessalonica. <clears throat> and then he, he, he got pushed out of there. He had to get, get out of, of that area. And, oh, it's so sad. You know, if he just would have stayed there, he could have explained it a little better and they would have gotten it. No, it's not sad. It's great that he got pushed out of there because he ended up writing these letters to them. And now we have them in our Bibles because the Holy Spirit knew that we needed to be taught this. So get Paul out of there. He's already, he says that he's already taught them all this stuff, but then they, they're starting to question it. And now he is gone, and he writes letters and sends letters to them, and they end up in our Bibles. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's key, do you believe that he's just a Jewish man who died? Or do you believe that he died and he rose again? That's key. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So they, they have... They have when Paul talked about the coming of the Lord to take him out of here, he said, he's, you'll notice he's, he says, we... I think Paul was expecting to be raptured before he died. We all should have that same attitude that it could happen at any moment. That's the way we should live. Look at how long it's been since Paul wrote in a way that he felt like it could happen at any moment. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him so they're thinking, but they, they, all these people have already died, and I thought the Lord was coming back. I thought, he said, they're just sleeping. Don't be concerned about the ones who've died. Look at all the people who died way before. Don't worry about that. It's not too hard for God. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Oh, the word of the Lord. Do you believe you have the word of the Lord right here in our Bibles? That we which are alive and remain, notice how he said that, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I've already given you the examples of some other places where Jesus cried with a loud voice and people were raised up from the dead. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And why do they get to rise first? 
because they have six feet further to go than the rest of us who are still alive. Yes, that is a joke. You can laugh if you want. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. See, they, these people were, uh, they were concerned about this. They were worried about it, couldn't figure it out. So we are to comfort each other that, yeah, your loved ones have passed away, but they're in the Lord, and one day... When that happens, when, that, when the archangel shouts with that loud voice and the trump of God, you hear the trumpet, and then those rocks will break up and people will start coming up out of the graveyards, that's going to happen. And we're going to go up together and to meet them in the air. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day, and are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep, as do others, and let us watch and be sober. Oh, man, I shouldn't have read that. Don't, don't y'all go to sleep. It says it right here in the Bible, you're not supposed to sleep. You've got to stay up all night long and watch for him coming. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and, and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God, now here's, here's one of the verses that you need to know for pre-trip, being a pre-trip person. For God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love, for their work's sake. All righty. So I'll let you read the rest of that because uh, I want to go over to 1 Corinthians before we finish for the day. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, <clears throat> a lot of good stuff. There's a whole lot I would like to bring to your attention. But the main part, oh, wow. Go, go back to uh, 35. Just go to verse 35. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. So what does quickened mean in the King James Bible? It means made alive. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body thou shalt be, but bear grain, it may 
chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. See, if you take a seed, it can, a seed can lay around for years. I'm talking about a, a, an actual plant, seed, can lay around for years and years and years. And you can plant it in the ground. I mean, it's dead, and you bury it because it's dead, and something miraculous happens. And it's all of a sudden a plant sprouts forth from that seed. So this is, this is what it's comparing it to, us going into the grave. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of, of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of, of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. First man, Adam, he fell. But the second Adam was Jesus Christ, who did not fail, who came to fix what the first Adam did. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. So you come into the earth as a natural person, you're a human being, but then Jesus comes into your life, and you become a spiritual being. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is, is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. <clears throat> All right, now, go down to 51. 51, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immor immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? Those are the ones who are in the grave, and the trumpet sounds, and the dead in Christ come up out of the grave. They're going to be singing, O death, where is thy sting? Actually, those are the people still alive. All of us who are still alive, who never taste death when the rapture happens, will sing that. O death, where is thy sting? 
Then the people who are dead and in the grave will sing, O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody should write a song. Victory in Jesus, we could call it. Oh, victory in Jesus. He, he sought me and he bought me. Yeah, that would be good, some good words for a song like that. So there's some verses and places in the Bible that you can go to, that you can hold on to that uh, show you about this translation or this rapture that's going to happen. So next week, who knows what we're going to be talking about. Sometimes what I plan stuff, by the time I get to next Sunday, it's totally different. I see things. God shows me things in his word, and I'm like a little kid, just so excited about it. It's been here all along. It's been here. Whoa. When God says, whoa, you better stop. Pay attention. You know, there's a place in Revelation talking about a dragon. Revelation 12 talking about a red dragon. And when I heard that sermon, and he said, when God says, whoa, you better stop, I thought of uh, watching, was it Looney Tunes? Was it was uh, Yosemite Sam one of the characters? And I remember when I was a kid, I loved Yosemite Sam. I loved him. And remember what he rode around on? It's a dragon. He didn't have a horse, right? He had a dragon. I just remember him riding on a dragon and saying, Whoa, dragon! And the dragon would take him right off the cliff. And on the way down, he'd say, Dragons is so stupid. Remember that? Dragons is so stupid. Well, Yosemite, you're kind of stupid because you were riding on the dragon, and the dragon is not going to listen to woe. So we don't want to be on a dragon. The dragon, that dragon, you read, read Revelation 12. That dragon is the devil, Satan. Don't be riding on that dragon. We need to trust in our Savior, who will not leave us in the grave. He will not leave us down here to go through wrath, but he's coming for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that each and every one of us will open up your holy scriptures. Father, that we will be able to see by, by the Holy Spirit leading us and showing us that your word is true. Father, we need to hold this double-edged sword in our hands. And Father, use it for what its purpose is. And it's to divide asunder those who are going to trust you, those who are going to deny you. Father, we have your word. We have your double-edged sword. Father, you have spoken it. And Father, we have it, we hold it, we put it in our minds and in our hearts. And Father, we need to hold on to it tightly. We need to trust it. Because Father, your ways are written in this book. And Father, your ways are the ways we want to go. 
Father, help us to have faith in your word. To have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, your Son. Thank you for the victory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.